0: Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Native Grape Odyssey is an educational project financed by the European Union to promote European wine in Canada, Japan and Russia. Enjoy. It's from Europe. This is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. My guest today is Pierangelo Tomasi from the Tomasi family of wine estates. Welcome. Grazie. Okay, just give us a little bit of background about your, your family history and how you've come to have estates in all the major regions in Italy.
0: Well, I represent uh, the fourth generation of the family along with uh, eight other members. We're actually quite a large family. Uh, Everything started uh, in 1902 when my Greek grandfather Giacomo Tomasi uh, started his own small winery in the Valpolicella area so the northern part of Verona which is where we were kind of born and raised and generation after generation the company has grown expanding acquiring more vineyards in the region first of all in, in the Valpolicella area to become uh, more say premium uh, Amarone Valpolicella wine producers and then later on we also expanded acquiring vineyards in, in the rest of Verona meaning Lake Garda and Suave OK just
1: give us a bit more detail about the um, the Veneto side so you're making red wines White wines
0: and sparkling wines there, I guess. Correct, and, and rosé as well. Okay, so, so what, what are your main denominations? So the main denominations are Amarone, Amarone Classico, Ripasso, Valpolicella. I mean all the family of the Valpolicella wines. But then we also produce Lugana, which is our, say, most important and premium white wine project in Verona. And as of Rosé, for instance, there is the Chiaretto di Bardolino from Lake Garda. So those are three denominations that have had a lot of recent success.
1: I mean, Garda is obviously an incredible tourist spot and attracts a lot of wealthy Germans from Munich driving down over the weekend. So prices for those wines are quite high, aren't they?
0: I believe they're, in a way, they're very good value, though. Uh, The Lugana whites, yeah? Lugana has probably represented, I mean, the example of how a wine and a wine region more in general can gain from the visibility and the notoriety of the tourism, as you mentioned correctly, I mean, from, especially from Southern Germany. Lots of Germans have enjoyed spending their summer holidays by Lake Garda, though, and they've been drinking and enjoying drinking Lugana. Uh, for years, and, and as a consequence, I mean, the German market is by far the biggest market for this appellation. The trend is growing, I mean, there is not only southern Germany now, actually, it's open to discover new wines and, and Lugana as such. So, I see a bright future ahead.
1: Just remind us quickly what the main grape for the Lugana white is? Well,
0: it's actually called Turbiana. Uh, Turbiana is the indigenous clone. Part of the more known Trebbiano family, so we can say that Turbiana is part of Trebbiano, but it's a specific one grown in the Lugana area. Okay, you mentioned Chiaretto, mm-hmm. which for me is one of the most
1: resurgent wines in Italy at the moment. Um, what's changed in, for Chiaretto? Which is uh, explain us
0: what Chiaretto is and and where you think it's going. So Chiaretto is actually say. Chiaretto di Bardolino, to be more precise. It's the rosé wine produced in the Bardolino DOC area, to point this on the map, southeast part of Legarda. It's produced with the, primarily at least, with three indigenous varietals, Corvina, Rondinella, and Molinara. And uh, so red grapes, that, uh, and, and the wine is actually vinified with the skins of uh, very shortly, like just a little over one, one day. It's been existing for a long, long time. If I am actually totally correct, I believe that this has been the first Rose, Italian Rosé wine to gain the DOC years ago. And generally speaking, we see a growing demand for Rosé wines worldwide. And Kereto is actually one of them, an historic rosé wine that is now gaining a little more attention. Is and it, it getting more attention because, in terms of color, it's been made a little bit lighter in color? I believe this is part of it. Uh, we personally also change a little bit that in our vinification process. I mean, we used to make uh, the Chiarito a little more pink. Now it's much kind of more towards a Ramato correct? Copper, copper type. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah.
1: Did you change the blend
0: then? Did you, did no. you
1: get rid of some grape varieties? No, no, no.
0: Okay. no. no, We've been making that with the same grapes as we used to do a long time ago. It's just a matter of a probably of a, sh- a shorter, a quicker skin maceration in order to uh, get less color extractions from the skins. And the complete contrast to that would be Amarone. Yeah, exactly. Amarone is exactly the other way around. I so mean, just sum up the success in Amarone in five words, Namjic. Oh, five <laughs> words. I mean, uh, if you tell me five five pages, then I can uh, do that. Five words difficult. Well, uh, unique for sure. So what, what is Amarone first? Tell us but what it is and then uh, and why it's so unique and why it's had such success. So certainly we can say, um, we can tell about Amarone as a one of the really top Italian red wines, no question about it. How do you make it? Well, first of all, where do you make it? From the Valpolicella area, using indigenous varietals in the blend. Corvina and Rondinella are the mandatory varietals. And what makes Amarone unique is the way you make it. You have to dry the grapes for say, usually 90 to 100 days. We tend to do more 190. The longer you dry them, the more concentration you gain. So you're you're
1: picking the bunches by hand. Correct. And you're keeping them as intact bunches. Voila. And you're taking
0: them inside. You put them in, in smaller, baskets on, on larger bamboo racks, mm-hmm. and you let them dry using natural air circulation. So you have to imagine big, uh, we call them drying loft areas, where you really let the grapes dry for so long, getting the air circulation.
1: And when Pierre Angelo says um, drying, like the way he's explained about the drying, you can actually dry, not artificially, but you can have rooms that have air conditioning right yeah and you go for the natural way
0: we go more for natural way let's say that uh, the the real main enemy to the drying process is humidity so you have to get rid of the humidity and when when you have humidity meaning if the weather outside is humid due to rain or fog that's something you have to avoid it's a time when you can possibly help yourself with some sort of dehumidifiers but otherwise you the the more natural you dry the more you obtain what is what what is your objective which is actually dry. I mean Dry grapes meaning concentrated juice with natural sugar. So basically the water in the grapes evaporates and then that makes the sugar more concentrated. Correct. I mean, the, the goal is to lose 40 to 50 percent of weight, which is the amount of water that has to evaporate. What's your favorite meal with a bottle of Amarone? Red meat, beef is definitely my, my favorite. I mean, the, the, the more you age Amarone, uh, Amarone is one of those wines that can really age forever. Alright, one quick step backwards. After the drying, you vinify, you age the wine minimum three years in barrels and then you bottle. And then as soon as you release, the wine is supposed to be ready, but in the same time you can say it's still young. The longer you age it in bottle, the the longer you store it, the better it becomes. So to answer your question, when the Amarone is still among younger vintages, so to speak, I'd prefer with some beef. The older the Amarone is, it goes more with game. Moving to another very famous red, Bruna di Montaccino. You have an estate in Montaccino, what's it called? It's called Casizano. Mm-hmm. Whereabouts is it in Montalcino? So that is actually located in the southeast part of Montacino in uh, just above uh, Sant'Angelo in Colle. Uh, Which is a little hilltop village. And in, 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 in fact, Casizano is one of the highest uh, elevation vineyards of the entire Montacino denomination area. What are you at, five, 500 and something meters okay. above sea level. Yeah, quite high. We purchased Casizano in uh, 2015. I was going to say the... State was founded in 1990 by the premiums family, the premiums owner, and then in 2015 we had the opportunity to achieve a goal which is more it was more like well, it was a dream uh, I've been dreaming about portraying in estate in Montalcino for a long
1: time how big is how big is the estate it's
0: it? actually 22 hectares under vine it's 53 hectares in total uh, including woods and, and olive trees so 22 hectare under vines, 100% grown with Sangiovese of Brunello Sangiovese Grosso grape
1: so just the, this is one of the warmer regions of Montalcino Sant'Angelo in
0: Um but the fact that you're actually on top of the hill I guess makes it a little bit cooler yeah Pretty much, pretty much. In fact, uh, I mean, there is, there is, there is one style, and uh, the Brunello the Casizano estate produces, uh, which is actually, uh, I mean, the, the elegance. Elegance is the key. Uh, we will never, ever be able to produce a bigger, bolder Brunello where it's not that warm over there, so elegance is, uh, is, is the key.
1: What about ageing? you going for new barrels or are you going for classic uh, We
0: botti? We work 100% with a traditional botti, so Slavonian oak barrels only. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I don't want to impose my opinion, but I, if I was where you are, and I used to live in San Antonio, I would be doing what you're doing. I think new oak would, would just... It makes it too heavy?
0: Well I believe so I tell you on the other end, we have never experimented a uh, smaller barrel yet uh, but uh, we won't in a sense that uh, it's not really the philosophy of our family and this reminds me or, or brings me back to the Tomasi estate up in the Valpolicella area uh, where uh, we work primarily with large Lavonoc we have a few French oak barrels there as well for a, a couple of IGT wines but uh, when it comes to the real classics from the region of Marone, Ripasso, Valpolicella Classico, etc. We only work with large Slavonian oak.
1: A classic Brunello from Castisano. What's your favourite food match? And you can't say beef for this, this one. I can't got. say
0: beef. No. Well, if I cannot say beef, then I would say cheese. Really? Uh, yeah? Yeah. Cheese I how see. like raw cheese or toasted cheese or. <laughs> Blue cheese. Really? Yeah. That's my, you know, that's my favorite cheese uh, in general, and I enjoy having Brunello. I mean, as you don't allow me to say beef <laughs> anymore, because <laughs> otherwise I would have said beef as well, or maybe wild boar, wild boar perhaps. Yeah. So is wild boar allowed? I'll have to just
1: speak to our legal team about All that. Right. But in terms of blue cheese, which particular blue cheese? Like a soft cheese, a runny cheese?
0: Uh, soft cheese, I would say. Oh, yeah, and again, I believe that that depends on the vintage of the Brunello though. I mean, the younger the Brunello is, maybe a kind of a soft Softer type of cheese. I mean, the older, the more aged it is. Maybe something a little more. I mean, a little stronger in flavors, perhaps.
1: Okay. Next, let's go down south to Basilicata. Yeah. You have an estate there. What, what's it called?
0: So. In uh, 2016, we decided to expand our projects uh, down in the south, and we had the opportunity to buy a stake, the majority stake, in a very uh, historic and well-established winery called uh, Paternoster. Uh, Paternoster has been a family-owned winery since 1925, and uh, again, uh, just uh, a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity to enter with two Paternoster family members as our partner and and one of them was actually Fabio Mecca Norster is the enologist still is the enologist of of the state we're talking about really an icon in in the region I mean uh, one of the very first wineries that believed in the area we're talking about the Vulture region so northern Basilicata at the feet of this uh, quiet silent volcano called vulture. So if you saw the word in English it would look like vulture but they call it
1: vulture and it it looks like a vulture without outstretched wings, doesn't it? Yeah. With seven peaks.
0: Yeah. 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 It's quite high elevation as well. I usually explain this area uh, as an unusual southern Italian region if you will, in a sense that you're quite down south but being so high in elevation and based on volcanic soil the microclimate is quite different than for instance Apulia or Campania which are only two hours uh, east or west, but uh, but uh, on a much lower altitude there. So I mean, what's the difference in picking dates for your, say, to
1: Montalcino
0: in Sant'Angelo in and to Basilicata? So if you allow me to include also the Amarone uh, as an example, mm-hmm. I mean, we usually start picking the grapes for Amarone in the middle middle or second half of September, and then, as we were saying, we're gonna we dry them all the way through January, but the picking is made middle end of September at the latest, whereas we. We do Brunello starting somewhere like uh, middle of October. The Alianico is in the very end of October, sometimes early November as well. It's amazing. It yeah, it's a bit, you're, you're so far south and you would think everything would be picked like in the end of August. But it's one of the latest regions, isn't it? In Italy if to if not, Certainly If not anyone. the latest, yeah. perhaps, yeah. This is it. So, I mean, that's really very much part of the characteristic of this grape, uh, uh, Alianico. And when we talk alia- about Alianico, we need to really be clear. This is Alianico del Vulture, which is different than the Alianico grape and wines produced in Apulia, for instance, or sometimes also in Campania. This is a specific clone that grows in the area, as we just said. I mean, high in elevation, northern part of Basilicata, which ends up making a wine that is really full-bodied. Thank you but quite dry, rich in tannins with a huge aging potential. What's your favorite food match with that one? You know what, to be honest I I don't think I've really found the perfect food match yet uh, I'm, still, I'm still kind of discovering yeah, I mean, uh, I've been uh, in... What didn't work then? No, I don't say that there was something that didn't work I believe that I have the opportunity so far to taste uh, younger vintage of Alianico and older vintage of Alianico and I have to say that the, the really the more you age it, the, the better it comes, which is in a way uh, strange for me as a producer to say, because usually when you release a new vintage, you want the vintage to be ready and, and you want it, uh, correct but with the Alianico del Vultor, you really need to wait. What, what about with some of the cheeses, uh, like the
1: uh, La Muca Podolica, like those kind of cheeses, can you explain what La Muca Podolica, Podolica is? You can explain <laughs> that, probably more than me uh, I'm not going to do, it. okay it's, a, it's, a, it's the local kind of uh, cow and uh, the cheese is um, ageable um, and it's quite spicy. And I, can't, I know Podolica is a cow that gives, comes out the wrong end, yeah? Correct. So it's a cow that's born, I can't remember, it's either head first or... It's head first, isn't it? Normally cows come out feet first. And so they, when they birth, the baby cow or calf comes out head first.
0: Yeah? Yeah, that's an interesting story. And uh, So we're actually
1: going to do a veterinarian podcast as soon as we finish this one today. And then we might move into aeronautics or other. Okay. so now let's stay in the south. You mentioned Puglia just now. Tell us about your estate
0: in Manduria. What's it called? It's called uh, Surani, actually Masseria Surani. uh, And I have to say that this is the first project that we um, started in southern Italy. If I may go quickly back to the beginning. It was in 1997, when my generation stepped in and took over from our fathers, that we decided to expand a wine project outside of Veneto. And therefore Apulia came in 2011. It came before Montalcino and, and, and Basilicata. And that was the time when we were thinking that southern, uh, Southern Italian project would be a perfect fit for our wine portfolio overall. For a number of reasons, we thought that Puglia should be the region to go. And uh, we're in Puglia in, in the area which we consider the heart of the Primitivo uh, wine region, so Manduria. Manduria is the land of the first DOC that was created for the Primitivo, Primitivo di Manduria. So we purchased an existing estate, Masseria Surani, based on 55 hectares, primarily grown with the Primitivo grapes. And here we are, a few years later, I can say that it's been a fascinating project. We just mentioned the Allianico del Vulture being picked uh, and very, very late. Uh, we now talk about Primitivo di Manduria, or Primitivo grape, which is one of the very first grapes that we pick uh, towards the end of August, uh, very early September, though. So is a very hot area, isn't it, Manduria? Very 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 area, you are very close to the sea. We're just about ten kilometres from the from Ionic sea and uh, yeah, so you can imagine the climate there is really hot. It's fairly flat as well, isn't it? Flat, probably? flat, pretty much, pretty much. So,
1: but you have a lot of you must have a lot of old vines there because it's, it's it's quite a if, in terms of diseases, it's quite hard for diseases yeah, to cause problems, right? We
0: still have uh, some a few actors with the very historic uh, so-called Alberello uh, training system, which is a bush vine. And then the majority, though, is actually with Guio, which is part of, to be honest, of the project and the way that the previous owner of Masseria Sorani, uh, in a way, planted the, the entire estate. And your final domain is what? We have two more in the 30. family. Yeah, We have uh, what was actually our first project in, from back from 1997 in, in Maremma, uh, in southern Tuscany, uh, called Poggio al Tufo, we're now, actually it's actually one brand with two estates, one in the very south of Tuscany, in the very south of Maremma, in a, such an amazing, beautiful city uh, called Pitigliano. If you haven't been there, guys, please go. Because it's an amazing experience and a Tuscan city. Um, and then the other estate is slightly more northwest from Pitigliano in Scansano. So Scansano so sort of neighbours Montalcino. It's closer to Montalcino than what Pitigliano is. Let's say that from the Maremma where we are at to Montalcino, uh, time-wise it would take you about say a couple of hours of uh, of a nice drive in a sense that you enjoy a beautiful Tuscan landscape. Yeah, I, I agree. It is one of the most beautiful
1: drives, and I agree about Pitigliano. So the two the differences between these two, are you make are you making mainly white wine in Pitigliano
0: and red in, in the Scanzano? Or? It's actually not in the other not the other way around. It is actually not the case in the sense that you are right thinking that in Pitigliano you would make more white. But when we purchased the estate and the vineyards which were 99% based on white grapes, we decided to replant them with more white red grapes there though. So we make more red wine and white. What do we do as white Vermentino which is one of the indigenous varietals from that part of Tuscany. And that's the only real... Uh, white wine part of the Poguel Tufo portfolio and then we mainly work with red grapes such as Sangiovese uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, there is Alicante Boucher uh, there is a little bit of uh, Petit Verdot as well that we use in blend. So I imagine quite deeply coloured reds then with Alicante and Petit Verdot. Alicante in particular, we, we, we actually work with the Alicante Boucher, yeah. and the Soclone of Alicante, which has the not only the dark skin, but the dark juice as well. So in France, it's called a Tanterrier, ton- uh, which means a, a stainer, a, a red stainer, and brings a red feel to the wine. Which is usually used for uh, in blends to give a bit more colour extractions. We decided some years ago to produce a... A hundred percent Alicante Boucher wine, interesting project. Wine that it's quite t- brave to do that, isn't it? Uh, in a way, I would say so. Uh, I Did think, it work? We, it, it does work. It's not uh, the easiest wine to sell, uh, to be honest. I mean, I was going to say this is this is really a wine that you have to find some ambassadors to believe in and and really uh, sell it to the to, to the market. When you produce a Sangiovese Cab blend or a hundred percent Cab you produce wines that the average consumers worldwide understand, and they can buy either at the retail level or in restaurants. When you produce an Alicante Boucher, you have to have real ambassadors, sommeliers, so primarily on-trade, oreca business, uh, that are uh, involved with this wine, they get in love with this wine, and they believe it, and then you take the chance to... Explaining and propose it to the clientele.
1: Do you think the white wines from Pitigliano will bounce back in terms of get more recognition? Mean, it's a historic wine. I know you. Yeah. I can understand why you say that. You know, it was a, it was a very hard sell for you, and you sort of switched the focus a bit to reds. But do you think there's a future for that wine? Well, uh, you know, it's a beautiful place. It, it is a stunning no, place. No, but,
0: well, I have to say, though, to be fair, that when we started the project in '97, it's not that we didn't believe in the uh, Bianco di Pitigliano as such. We just wanted uh, to have more red wines because it was our first project outside of Veneto and in Toscana. When I mentioned uh, Casizano a while ago, the, the being, being in Montalcino Estate, being like a dream that became truth, this means that it was at the time when we bought Pitiglia in Pitigliano that I was looking for something in Montalcino already. That was back in 97. Yeah. We purchased Casizano in, in 2015. 15, quite many years later. So this means that for some reason we couldn't make that investment earlier. We decided to stay in Tuscany with our project. And here we are with Maremma. And and therefore it was more red wines that we wanted and needed to have. It's not that we didn't believe in the white there. It's just that we needed more red wines in the portfolio. We still have Vermentino. We have a white and we believe in the white. Is that area coming back when it comes to, you know, white wine success, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I cannot really say if it is going to happen or if it is not going to happen. Uh, I believe it will depend on how the region will open to wine entrepreneurs, like we did a long time ago. They can bring to the area a little more uh, long-term projects, if you like, okay, vision and the uh, a clear objective of of development. So just one final word about Poggio al Tufo. What does Poggio al Tufo mean? So starting from Tufo, Tufo, I don't know if you can really correctly translate in stuff or Tuf, T-U-F-F. That that is actually volcanic soil. Poggio is the typical Italian word used primarily in central Italy, so Tuscany and, and Umbria as well, as far as I know. That refers to these very... Beautiful rolling hills that are typically part of Tuscan area. So as we are with Poggio Tufo Estate Vineyard up up at 400 meters above sea level, and the entire landscape is based on these beautiful rolling hills, so-called Poggio, we decided to create the brand name combining the way the landscape looks like and the fact that that is based on volcanic soil. Okay, let's go to the oltrepo Pavese. Oltrepo Pavese. Where, where is it, first of <coughs> all? Southwest part of Lombardy so approximately 1 hour southwest from Milano not too far from Piedmont in fact it's a it's another beautiful region up on hills Quite famous for, primarily for Pinot Nero, Pinot Noir grape. So it's an area historically known for sparkling wines. And again, primarily based on Pinot Nero. There is a bit of Chardonnay and other varietals there as well. But Pinot Nero is really, the, the, that is the land for that. And
1: what do you make? Are you making mainly sparkling or totally sparkling wines there? We
0: do actually produce there. Uh, so, so far, what we have available are two, a white and a rosé brut, both produced with Pinot Nero. And is this traditional method or Sharma method? That's actually Sharma method, but we bottled about a year ago uh, two uh, uh, classical method, uh, Pinot Nero 100%, which will be released in... 2021 so in two years from now so we are going to grow our portfolio with both the Charmant method and classical method as well and then we also bottle produce actually and bottle a little bit of Moscato which is another varietal quite well established in the area. Oltre Po, what does that mean? I mean Oltre that means beyond and Po is the longest river of Italy and uh, uh, the area is just south of the river, that, that's why they say Oltre, on the other side of the river Po, so on the southern side of the river Po. You would think that there is a river going across, so you would imagine the area to be flat. On the contrary, this is up on hills. Caseo, the uh, one area that we own there, is actually up to uh, more than 400 meters above sea level.
1: Okay, so your final um, estate is, you're saying in Chianti Classico we have a stake, uh, a stake in La Massa. So, uh, La Massa, where is La Massa in Chianti Classico?
0: Which, which township? So L- La Massa is actually located in the so-called uh, Concadoro, the golden shell, uh, one of the hot spots in the Chianti Classico area, and more specifically in the uh, little town called Panzano. And Panzano is uh, a little town within the wider commune of
1: my brain's gone. Um, Greve in Chianti. Greve in Chianti. Correct. And it, it, it is a hot spot, literally in terms of um, in terms of climate and in terms of fame. I think it's a really up and coming, up and coming, it's historic area that's um, become very very famous. I mean, you know, a, a company like you investing in Chianti Classico. You, you think if you're investing in Chianti Classico, that means that the, there is something about this region that is making that is happening right now. Is that yeah. is that what you feel?
0: Yeah, I agree. Though I mean, uh, we decided to invest there, and I have to say that La Massa is not. a Tomasi family project though we are in partnership with, we actually have two partners and one of them is uh, the founder and, and the owner of La Massa uh, until we got uh, this business uh, together who's still the wine man in the, in the business, in the company. What's his name? Giampaolo, Giampaolo Motta and his team. So we decided to, to, to uh, you know, consider this, this opportunity A, to enter in, a, in an amazing small boutique brand secondly to, in a way, sort of complete our Toscan project if I can say so. I mean, we started in Maremma a long time ago in, uh, in Pitigliano, then we grew the Maremma project with Scansano, as we mentioned, so all under the Poggio Tufo estate, brand name, and then Montalcino a few years ago. So uh, Chianti Classico is certainly an area. As far as I can see as a producer and as a wine consumer too, there is a quite intense comeback for the Chianti Classical wines worldwide, which is quite promising, I believe, for the area. So you'd said that this looks like your last investment in
1: Tuscany. So if I'm a Vino Nobile producer, yeah. that I'm about to retire, and I'm looking, I'm looking for a nice lad like you to come along and say, hey, Monte, I'll, I'll, I'll take your family winery off your hands and
0: give you a nice price. Well, that's not going
1: to happen in Vino Nobile.
0: You know what? I, I mean, never say Never. Uh, I mean you made an example of Inno Nobile now so I just want to avoid any possible <laughs> misunderstanding of gossip we're not looking at any other further expansion in the area but I mean generally speaking with us in the family I mean I can really say never say never. On the other end, that we have uh, plenty of projects coming up in in some of these existing estates some renovation to create some hospitality business as well which is already part of our family we have an hospitality business here in Verona with two hotels and a restaurant also so we might do something in in Montalcino and uh, and in Maremma as well actually we already own an agriturismo by Poggio Tufo. I have to say though that uh, Scoop coming up, everybody. There is something, there is another project which, is, which, is, which was officially launched last year, October. So that's not really new, but uh, we're kind of working hard to, to make it go its own way. And it's called De Buris. Uh, what is De Buris? That, that's the luxury brand, the luxury new project of my family, myself, uh, located here in the Valpolicella area. So I can say that after traveling throughout Italy for a number of years with the Buris, we have kind of come back. The Buris is simply the name of a 1400 Venetian villa called the Buris in the heart of the vapolicella Classico region, where there is a cellar with the Slavon oak bales and where the, the wine produced, which is a Amarone Reserva. Is actually it spends its long time in aging. This wine is made in the most prestigious hillside vineyard that we own in the Classico Valpolicella region called La Groletta. Again, a project that started in our family, in our mind, back in 2000. And uh, uh, last year, uh, October, so uh, 18 years after the first day we thought about it, we were happy and able to launch the first vintage, which is a 2008
1: Great. So I think we've done everything. Uh, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I know you got to run. Uh, Just to say thanks. Happy to
0: be happy to be with you. I was joking. Yeah, I um, I would continue a lot more. Yeah, if you if
1: you you do buy another estate, just I'll give Uh, you my number, my mobile, before we leave. You'll
0: be one of the first people that I will inform.
1: So I say thanks um, to Pierangelo Tomasi my guest today on the Italian Wine Podcast for explaining the family history and all the estates associated with the Tomasi family. Very exciting range of wines. I mean, if I'm not a trade buyer, I, mean, I, know, I don't, yeah, that's one of my weak points. As you probably know, anyone who listens to this podcast about the commercial side, um, we've got a great lineup. You know, if you're yeah. like a football team, you say, yeah, you got to, you know, you got all the cover, all the bases covered. Yeah, yeah? I agree so. So okay and if we do have a scoop you got my email
0: I have your email I have your cell phone I have your everything <laughs> you, got,
1: you, can GPS, right? you, you can just put my GPS right you can just track not, me put a little tracking yeah, device on me you
0: will not escape away from us okay thanks a lot Pietrangelo and I
1: hope you enjoy Italy.
0: I will enjoy it. thank you for having me with you uh, one last thing though whoever is going to listen this program you are very warmly welcome to visit us anywhere in Italy anywhere we are to in a way uh, touch with your hands that what uh, we have explained so far is true and and, uh, and we can really enjoy some good time together. So thank you very much for having me and you have a good win in Italy too, Monti. Thanks very much, Pia, Bye-bye, everybody. Ciao. Grazie.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by Native Grape Odyssey. Discovering the true essence of high-quality wine from Europe. Find out more on nativegrapeodyssey.eu Enjoy. It's from Europe.
0: Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.